This morning we're going to be looking at Jesus. And in a very specific way, we're looking at Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This particular passage, it well speaks of Jesus from, if you would, He is being God in eternity to becoming man, to being glorified by the Father once again. Reading this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amazing words that instruct us about Jesus. But I wish you would understand, these words are within an overall context. That context is beginning in Philippians chapter 1. And our remarks this morning are primarily about Jesus and these verses from verses 5 through 11. But in the process of looking at verses 5 through 11, don't forget the context in which these words are found. Beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, these words would be the basis for his appeal. But then we find the appeal of Paul is found in verse 2. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Now it's easy to see that these words are speaking of Paul wanting unity for the Philippians. How else would you understand these words? Same mind, same love. Being a full accord and of one mind. Clearly, he wants them to be united. But then as you continue reading in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Rivalry. Why, that reminds me almost of politics. And it gets dirty. And if two people are considering each other as rivals, it's not pretty. And then he says, or conceit. You know, the idea of conceit, ah, I look good. Uh, I'm smart. I deserve the position that I'm in. And all the while a person is thinking that, they're thinking, I look better than you do. I, I'm smarter than you are. I, I deserve this position. You don't. 
rivalry and conceit are ugly. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to remember these words. In humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 and concentrating on the words about Jesus. But understand all of these words about Jesus, they're helping us understand this concept. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Then verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Again, the majority of the lesson, we're going to be emphasizing verses 5 through 11. But remember, it's within the context of verses 3 and 4. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. What we're going to be seeing is Jesus as that example of humility. Jesus is that example who is not looking only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I, I hope you just stop and think, wow, Jesus, who in humility, counting others more significant, Jesus, not looking just at his own interest, but to the interest of others, you, me, he cared that much. Now, here we would see, verse 2, the emphasis was on unity. In verses 3 and 4, unity is achieved through humility. Now we're going to be looking at Jesus. And the things that we see about Jesus in these verses is that one, he was in the form of God. Next, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Next, he made himself nothing. He was born in the likeness of men. He was obedient to the death of the cross. And then finally, he was exalted, becoming Lord. Now let's go look at these things individually and specifically. First of all, Jesus in the form of God. We would say that Jesus was God. And from the beginning, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So here it speaks of the Word was God, and the Word was in the beginning with God. Now we can scratch our heads and say, the Word. Who is that? Someone might even say, the Word, what is that? Well, when you come down to verse 14, you find the Word identified. And the Word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So here we find the word. It's identified as the only son. Friends, that's Jesus. And so Jesus was God. And he was from the beginning. John chapter 1 verses 1, 2, and 14. Further, we would find that Jesus is divine. You know, if I were to use the words divine, deity, God, I've used three words referring to the nature of the Almighty. Deity, divine, God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is deity. Yes, Jesus is God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 tells us, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's three verses we're going to look at in Colossians 1 and Colossians chapter 2. It, to me, seems almost like each builds on the next. Here he just says he's the image of the invisible God. But in verse 19, for in him, in Jesus, look at this now. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That kind of takes us a step further. But notice then Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, in Jesus... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Yes, Jesus is God incarnate. God in the flesh. And that's what this verse is telling us. As you see, you know, some things, they're just hard to understand. I, I think that when we just stop and dwell on the fact, God in flesh, from eternity, but now in a body, that which was not bound by time and space, but now confined, to a body? Hard to understand. Or if we were to think, wait, wait. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three. A trinity. But yet we would say there is one God. Some things are just hard to understand. In fact, we find that Paul, he tells us about God's love, that we should comprehend it, that we should know the love of Christ. And then he says, that surpasses knowledge. It's almost like Paul is saying about God's love, comprehend and know it, but it's beyond you to really understand it. Well, I think the concept of God is difficult. And this Jesus in the form of God Kind of difficult. But Paul there said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Equality with God. 
Peter said that Paul wrote some things that are hard or difficult to understand. And I think this concept is. But nevertheless, Jesus, divine, he is God. How well do you understand God? Can we even begin to understand what it is to be God? Think about that for a minute. Can we understand what it is to be God? What we know about God is right here. But for us to understand what it's like to be God, and then for God to make that sacrifice that we're reading of here in Philippians chapter 2. To realize Jesus, deity, from the beginning. And there he is. In the midst of those crosses. Hanging, suffering, and dying. I believe that's hard for us to comprehend. Jesus, next, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Remember, he was in the beginning. He's from eternity. He is divine. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, but you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, you know, there's a lot of folks, rich folks today, who they've struggled to hang on to that money in the midst of this troubled economy because of COVID-19 and maybe the collapsing stock market as a result of COVID-19. And so many people have tried everything they can to hold on to what riches they've had. Jesus, though he was rich, He was in glory in heaven with the Father, with the Spirit. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Poor? Well, certainly born in a human body, not having the physical riches of life. But then finally, the death of a cross. And it says, for your sakes, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He was willing, as it were, to deity, divinity. To, to something, as it were, to let go of his grasp. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The very opposite of selfishness. In fact, we're just now beginning to see Paul speaking of the humility of Jesus. To speak of how he's not just interested in his own things, but those, the things of others. Then we read, Jesus made himself nothing. Now, I'm going to make mention of the way this is translated in various versions. 
English Standard says made himself nothing. The King James Version and the New King James says made himself of no reputation. And I'll admit that when I committed this passage to memory, it was from the King James Version. And even reading it, instead of made himself nothing, I almost get those words out, made himself of no reputation. But then the American Standard Version, the New American Standard, says emptied himself. Emptied himself. Now the Greek word, according to Thayer, is to empty, make empty, deprive of force, render vain, useless, of no effect, to make void. I think looking at what Thayer says about this word, if someone were to say, well now Steve, which of these three uh, translation traditions do you think might be the best? I think maybe emptied himself. American Standard Version, New American Standard Version, none of these are wrong. It's just different words to express the same concept. But this is troubling. What does it mean? He made himself nothing. What does it mean? He emptied himself. Emptied himself of what? In fact, Kaufman says this. He says the diversity of opinions among interpreters in regard to the meaning of this passage is enough to fill the student with despair and to afflict him with intellectual paralysis. So Kaufman acknowledges this is tough to really know and understand what it says. And no doubt, much has been written about what does it mean? He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Later, Kaufman makes this statement. He says, Christ emptied himself of his glory, John 17, 5. Exactly the same renunciation Paul was enjoining upon the Philippians. I do think that as we look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, about Jesus, we realize it's within that context that begins in verse 1. The context that's dealing with unity and how we achieve that unity through humility and through, as it were, giving up of ourselves sometimes because of the greater needs of others. And so in this way, I think he emptied himself. He was willing to give up what he had to give up. To change what had to be changed. For us. For us. As I mentioned, some things hard to understand. To really comprehend what it means. From eternity, in glory, with the Father, with the Spirit, worshipped by the angels. To then decide, I'll empty myself. I'll make myself of no reputation. I'll make myself nothing. What he gave up, I think it's hard to know. But I think we can know why he made himself nothing. Because he was that concerned about us, mankind, his creation.
Next, we see he was made in the likeness of man. The phrase son of man is used 87 times in 83 verses in the New Testament. And of course, as you see this phrase, son of man, you're thinking messianic reference, but it's also a reference that identifies Jesus with man, son of man. Jesus was manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3, 16. And as John begins his epistle, 1 John, he says that Jesus could be heard. Think of it this way. With your own ears, you hear, you hear Jesus. He's speaking. The sound waves make their way to your ear. All those little bones inside go to your brain. You hear Jesus. He says he's seen. You see, those in Jesus' day, with their own open eyes, they saw the physical Jesus and touched. Hands have handled like a blind man groping. And of course, you recall, after Jesus' resurrection, appearance to the disciples, and how they could literally touch his hands, his side, where nails had been driven and a sword had been thrust. He could be heard. He could be seen. He could be touched. He had been made in the likeness of man. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus was made flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so Jesus in the likeness of man, he experienced, he experienced hunger, he experienced thirst, he experienced sweat, he experienced being tired, he experienced temptation. The things sometimes that just kind of drive you over the edge, as it were. The things that bother you. The things that frustrate you. Jesus experienced. He was made in the likeness of man. Then we see he was obedient to death of the cross. About this obedience, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And Jesus was obedient to death. And Philippians says, even the death of the cross. John's account in John 19, beginning of verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha there they crucified him and with two others one on either side and Jesus between them sometimes when I'm reading my Bible and I see a word I think 
all that word means and is and all we have is just the word here you have crucified cross crucified him and it's in three short verses but you understand what that crucifixion was it was it was a common form of death for criminals perfected by the Romans in that day Jesus was not the only one to be crucified. In fact, on this occasion, there were three crucified, one on each side of Jesus. But we know what it is. In fact, it would be a form of execution that you wouldn't find in the United States today. It would be considered a cruel form of punishment unconstitutional in fact some might say that seemed barbaric the idea of nails in the hands the feet and then just hung on that cross between heaven and earth to wait for death to come it wasn't just a death that he was obedient to it was a death of the cross. It was a death that was a curse. It was a death that was humiliating. And it was a death that was most, in his case, sacrificial and a painful sacrifice. Jesus, obedient to the death of the cross. All of these things, yes, they're about Jesus. Don't forget the context. The context is Philippian church, you be united. And you do it out of humility. You achieve this from, you consider someone else's interest greater than yours. Why did Jesus die on that cross? Well, we know why. We find in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We are healed. When you think of that cross, you just think of he's there because of me. He put my interest and my needs Forgiveness, heaven for me one day, above those of his own. And he bore our sins in his body. He was obedient to the death of the cross. And then last, Jesus exalted becoming Lord. This was more than just up from the grave he arose. Yes, there was the resurrection. There was the ascension into heaven. But exalted by God, becoming Lord. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Read these words again. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus exalted, becoming Lord. Jesus was preached as Lord in Acts chapter 2. And by the way, much of Acts chapter 2 preaching was proving the resurrection of Jesus. And as Peter came to the conclusion of that lesson in verse 36, he let all the house, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. See, as Jesus exalted, becoming Lord. Now, I would just say this, and I beg of you, acknowledge Jesus now. And obey Him. The word Lord means Master. The idea of Lord implies that if He is my Lord, I obey Him. Even Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord? Lord, and do not the things which I say. Yes, acknowledge Jesus now and obey Him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the wonderful conclusion to that day was those who gladly received that word, that word of Peter, those instructions about Jesus and the instructions for themselves to repent and be baptized. They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. Yes, acknowledge Jesus now and obey him. Failing to do that now in this life, I'm convinced that everyone in judgment will acknowledge Jesus, that he's the Lord, and then it's too late. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I can't help but think that he has in mind in that final day of judgment, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But for those who fail to acknowledge him and obey him in this life, it's too late. It's too late. Jesus We've looked at Jesus, he's in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He was born in the likeness of men. He was obedient to the death of the cross. And finally then exalted, becoming Lord. And if we say, why did he do all of this? He did it for you. He did it for me. He... he God humbled himself. He didn't just consider his own interest, but the interest of others. And Jesus becomes the example that Paul uses to tell us, here's how you be humble. Here's how you consider the other is more important. So you can have this unity as a church.
I wanted today to preach Jesus. And that's verses 5 through 11. But as I said, don't forget the context. 